Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year from me. Great, as always, to be here. Um, I hope you've had a great Christmas, a great start to the year. Um, And if for whatever reason you haven't, then I genuinely hope that the presence and the love of God will meet you wherever you are at today. Um, We are starting a new series, as Lewis just said, on identity today. Identity as followers of Jesus. Now, our culture loves to talk about identity. We love to talk about who we are, hey. We have all sorts of tests, books, businesses, courses, all oriented around knowing ourselves, understanding ourselves, being our best selves, living our best lives. We've got Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, social media, we're looking to for the lives that we should be, what should be going on. All of these things can be amazing. I have people who literally have conversations around the Enneagram. I'm a one, you're a two, that's such a three and a four and and all of this. And And I know they can be so helpful. Like they really can these things can be a gift but at the same time although we love finding out about who we are I guess if I was to pass the microphone around this room this morning and I said I wonder if you could just tell us who you are most of us would probably have a small internal panic (laughs) what do I say oh my gosh like what have I ever done who on earth am I I remember meeting a friend of my sister once a great French guy and she introduced me this is my sister Joe um, and his very first very first words excuse my French accent gorge sorry (laughs) but his very first words were hello Joe what is your passion (laughs) and I was like (laughs) I just, I froze. There can be those moments I'm sure we have all found ourselves in, where is this this awkwardness or, and it is a kind of lighthearted awkwardness. But I guess also some of us might truly have genuine anxiety or confusion about who we are, about how we would answer that question. Maybe we are doing all the tests. We are looking to social media for what we should have achieved by now, who we should be by now, what life should be looking like. Maybe some of us have done all of those things and we actually don't like who we are or what we've done and we don't think anything could change. And my guess is also that a lot of us in this room might have reached an age where we've actually become comfortable with who we are. We have learned to know ourselves, the great things about ourselves, and also the shadow sides to be mindful of. And it is a great spiritual act to get to that place. But the reason that we're talking about identity today, our personal and collective identity as children of God, God's family, His church, is to pause again, or for the first time, and ask ourselves, who is my identity most defined by? What is the loudest voice in my life? Is the Bible another voice in my life that I'm adding into the mix? Or are the words contained in there actually speaking to who I am and all that I am a part of? Are these words shaping me? I 100% believe that the the God's words held in the Bible are the most revolutionary in the world. I believe they bring us into life in a way that no other words can. (laughs) 
They are alive and they are active. They are a light that can lead us through every season. They speak to the very deepest places of our identity before we were conceived through our life that unfolds onto this earth and into eternity. And this new series is called Living Hope. And I just want to say that each one of us, whatever has brought us here today, whether we are skeptical or curious about God, whether we're just starting out on a journey of faith or we've known God for years, every one of us has been invited to love and be loved by God and to find our identity in the living hope of Jesus. There's no special subcultures, VIP access. This is open invite. In the autumn, we looked at who Jesus says he is through his I am statements when Jesus says I am because in order to understand who we are, we need to first understand what we know about who God is. That question comes first and shapes our question. So now, following on from that, we're looking at who we are. Who does God say we are? And we're going to explore this through the book of one Peter in the Bible as we consider these we are's. We are holy, we are called, we are free, we are ready, we are empowered, we are known, we are strong, firm and steadfast. And today we are on we are loved. <laughs> Small topic, as I said to Lars. Um, and as I think with anything, I genuinely see a sermon as a conversation starter. <laughs> we can't say everything in here, but what we can do is invite each other into the Bible together to start conversations, to actually give us things that we can take away and wrestle with and talk through and pray with, with each other. My prayer is that, that we don't just gain a lot of knowledge or hear some interesting points through this sermon or even we'll have just heard those titles and think, I could never live up to that. But actually we come to know these again. I am still learning this and becoming alive in these words that these truths can take root, that they can mark us deeply in this season that we find ourselves alive in this world, that they can change us, awaken us, heal us, restore us, encourage us, spare us on so that just as it says in the Bible, we aren't conformed by the culture that we find ourselves in, but we're transformed by these very words, by the renewing of our minds. Renewal is a lifelong habit. So we're going to read some words from 1 Peter, chapter 1 in a moment, just to give a bit of context. Uh, this book was written to Christians, new followers of Jesus that were scattered around the nations. They'd actually found themselves in all different kinds of cultures. And so this letter is written to them to remind them effectively of who they are. They were living in cultures that was trying to reconform them to culture. A lot of people were scared of the Christians because they were thinking, you're not worshipping our local gods. Therefore, you're going to bring calamities on our towns and our cities. And Peter writes this letter to say, remember who you are. Remember who you are. So 1 Peter 1 verses 1 to 5 and I will just say I have had a small problem uh, with my slides. It's totally my fault so I don't have all of them. Um, I, <laughs> smallest, I work for a charity and I was chatting on a meeting with my friend um, in the charity on Friday and it was some tech. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I don't know why. I'm, I'm just going to say it because I've started off on a very random tangent. But, uh, and she, we were talking about some technical things that needed to be done. And she's like, don't worry, I said in the meeting, Joe's the least technical amongst us. <laughs> she's not going to be any help whatsoever. So here we go. I have trouble with my slides. So I'm going to read some from here and then just to see what we've got. And then, but one Peter 
Thanks, God. May God be blessed. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. His mercy is abundant. And so he has become our Father in a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection from the dead of Jesus, the Messiah. This has brought us into an incorruptible inheritance, which nothing can stain or diminish. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you while you're being kept safe by God's power through faith until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is why you celebrate. Yes, it may, be well, it may well be necessary that for a while you may have to suffer, stay with me, trials and tests, but these have come so that you can know the genuineness of your faith. And so it can result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. Revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. You believe in him. And you are being filled with a glorious joy that is beyond words. For you are, re are receiving the ultimate goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So, in answer to this question, who are we? Today we're answering that with, through this passage, we are loved. I have genuinely the best job to start the new year. I get to stand here this morning and say, you're loved. <laughs> you are loved. <laughs> I literally probably, I said to Lars, what do we do? And he said, just say that. <laughs> Johnny, just repeat that. You're loved. You're loved. You, honestly, if you want to just take a moment, just say it quietly, quietly to yourself. I'm loved. I am loved. Sometimes we just need to speak it to ourselves, remind ourselves, I am loved. You may think maybe, I don't know, that this was an interesting passage to actually preach a message from love on because it doesn't actually mention love anywhere. <laughs> but let me ask us, what is love? I was sat in a coffee shop years ago um, and I heard these two guys on a table, a couple of tables away from me, literally asking, I heard one of them say, what is love? How would you explain love? And I was so close to joining those, their conversation. And it was before I had a phone with the internet on. So I was trying to remember 1 Corinthians 13. I was like, I'm going to join in and I'm going to be like, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is this. Love is this. And I spent a lot of time talking to myself about whether or not I should join in. So in the end, they left. Uh, so they may not have appreciated my joining in their conversation randomly, but I will never know. But it has made me think how many people are walking around this planet saying, what is love? What is love? What is love? If we've ever known love in some of the deepest ways, maybe the love of marriage or engagement or friendship or family, what is it? We can experience it, but where do we get the answer to that question? And honestly, like, how do you answer that question? Like, honestly, I wonder if I asked us, what is the greatest selling love song of all time in the UK? Any guesses? Oh, good, nearly. Whitney Houston, I will always love you. Very close. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been great, but no. <laughs> oh, one more. What did someone say something? The great da, da, da. Oh, Whitney features a lot. But no, actually, according to a few different websites, including officialcharts.com, 
the greatest selling love song of all time in the, I was really disappointed, I'll be honest, of all time in the UK is Wet Wet Wet's version of Love Is All Around. Yeah. Anyone want to sing that? I'm not going to attempt it. But I'll, I'll read you the lyrics. Here we go. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Love that's all around me and so the feeling grows. It's written on the wind. It's everywhere I go. Oh, yes, it is. So if you really love me, come on and let it show. You know I love you. I always will. My mind's made up by the way that I feel. There's no beginning and there'll be no end. Because on my love, you can depend. Now, I'm not here to diss this song <laughs> or any other love song. I know love songs, all songs can be incredibly special to us. But how is this song defining love, the greatest selling love song of all time? Now, given that they probably didn't set out to write the ultimate de definition of love, it might be unfair to subject this song to this question. But anyway, here's what they do say. You know I love you, I always will. My mind's made up by the way that I feel. Feelings are an incredible gift. Emotions are a gift. <laughs> they are genuinely a gift to humanity. I have felt love. <laughs> and I know so many of us in this room, we feel that we're made to, human beings are made to feel and experience love. It really is a gift. But what about when we mess up or hurt each other and we don't feel it? What about in those times if our minds were only ever made up by the way that we feel, if my mind was only ever made up by the way that I feel, I know there would be times when I don't feel loved by God. When I certainly don't, and I'm guessing you would too, when we've had a hard day or a hard week or a hard month, when a prayer hasn't been answered the way that we wanted it to be answered, when a season is just not turning out the way that we thought it would, when we're walking through things with friends or with others, when we're reading news stories of all that is happening around the world. God, I don't feel loved by you in the midst of all this. Aren't I supposed to feel this? So therefore, if I don't feel lo loved by you, is my mind made up that I'm not? Is that how I'm gonna live? <coughs> And I don't underestimate to what it is to not feel loved by God. So many of us, so many incredible, well-known Christian pioneers throughout the ages have experienced what can be known as a dark night of the soul, where you ask, where is God? Who is he? What, where is the love of God? But what do we do with that? Do we stay there? What are the lyrics of our lives when it comes to understanding the love of God? Are they my minds made up by the way that I feel? Or is there another song that we can be singing about who God is? Could there be another song to sing us through the tough times as well as the great? Our feelings don't alter God's existence. Our feelings cannot change the character of God. They're literally not that powerful. How I feel today, Joe Wells on January the 9th, 2022, does not alter who God is for millions of people around the world throughout eternity and beyond. Lars, how Lars felt on November the 17th, 2021, did not change who God is. We're simply not able to do that. 1 John says this, God is love. So love is a reality in the form of the presence of God that is not defined by us. 
if God is love, let's look again at our passage. I said earlier that this may seem a strange passage to preach on love from maybe for some of us, but love is woven through every word written here because this whole passage is about the cross. The cross, the cross which was meant to be the end of Jesus, but actually which became through his death and resurrection, the end of death for us. This is what it says. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. The cross was a brutal act to be the ultimate display of love. It's not what any of us would ask for, I imagine. How any of us would say that we would like to experience the gift of love. And yet, it was the way for us to receive life which is the greatest act of love. Our passage then finishes with, we are receiving the greatest goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls, which can be phrased as the rescue of our lives. Salvation means a saving from, a saving from destruction. Maybe we think, well, I I don't need saving. (laughs) I don't need rescuing. I'm generally good. I don't need anyone outside of myself. Fleming Rutledge, who is an Episcopalian priest and an an author, has written this. um, I'm just going to read her quote because I found it so helpful. She said, very often the Christian faith is presented as a rather static two-party transaction in which God presents himself to us and then stands back and lets us decide what choices and responses we're going to make. The emphasis is on us, our projections, our strategies, our decisions. But that's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible story is not a two-party transaction, but a three-part cosmic drama in which an enemy plays a colossal role. Until God intervened with this gift of life, we were dead, as it says in Ephesians. And I know this could seem so crazy to us, so hard. What, you know, what a way to start the new year. <laughs> this may be you're going places where a talk on love you might not have expected, but this is what the Bible says. And if we're going to understand the love of God, we actually have to understand how the Bible defines love. We were once dead. There is an enemy arrayed against us who holds and wields the power of sin and death. And if I was to ask us, what is sin? We might define sin as simply bad deeds or bad things that we do. Fleming Richard goes on to describe a um, People magazine a number of years ago did a survey about sin where they actually asked its readers what had to grade sins and they displayed them in a syndex. Um, the results were published with each sin rated um, as better or worse and probably obviously murder, rape, spying against your country were rated as the worst sins. Cutting in front of someone in line was deemed worse than divorce or adultery. Overall, readers said that they committed 4.64 sins a month. (laughs) How they got to that, I have no idea. But our sense of sin as specific actions is deeply ingrained. Fleming Rutledge goes on to say, however, sin is not something we commit, but something we were in. 
a power holding our lives, a dominion under which humanity lives. Sin is analogous to the unconscious impulses and drives that shape our personalities in harmful ways, making us perfectionists, deceivers, abusers, seemers, bullies, and all the other manifestations that afflict the human species. This is not to excuse sin as specific acts, but to emphasize sin's power to enslave. The enemy was too strong for us. Only by the grace of God and the love of God are we brought out of the state of death. It has been done for us on Satan's own turf, the cross, by Jesus. The enemy was overpowered by the greater power of God who has defeated by love, sin and death once and for all. Sin and death no longer have any final hold upon us. What is love? 1 John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. So three questions before I finish today. Why does it matter that we believe that we're loved? What does this mean for our lives and how can we grow in this love? I'm going to keep the first two really simple. Why is it important? Because love is who God is. If we don't believe that we're loved by God, we don't believe that God is who he says that he is. If we don't believe that we are loved, everything about our faith is skew-whiff. That's it. <laughs> What does this mean for our lives? That verse that I've just read in 1 John goes on to say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus gave his life for us. Now you go and do the same for others. What does this mean? We get to actually be invited into this cycle of love with God where we receive his love and we actually get to live it out and love those around us. We are receiving, and as it says in the Bible, go and give what you have received. And thirdly, how can we grow in this love? We trust God. Trusting is not about knowing all the right answers, but actually about opening ourselves to be loved by him. There has to come a point when we don't just know who God is, but we know who he is to us. We know who he is to me. I can't tell you who or what is on the throne of your life, but someone or something is. There's no neutral ground. <laughs> Whoever is on the throne of our lives is the voice that we are trusting the most and the voice that we are being defined by. When I was younger, my dad taught me how to change the tires. Um, what's it called? Uh, on a bike. <laughs> in a tube, in a tube, someone said it, thank you. How to change the inner tube on my bike when I'd had a puncture. And I used to go on loads of bike rides with friends when I was younger. And one day I was on a bike ride and we got a puncture and one of my friends took my bike and started to fix it. And he started to fix it in a really different way. And I knew he was going to wreck it. He wasn't doing it properly. And I was like, no, my dad says. No, my dad says we need to do this. No, my dad says we need to do this. No, my dad. <laughs> my dad says we need to do it like this. And it's a small example but as we have heard, there is an enemy of our souls. And what is it that he goes after every time? It's our identity. 
every time. We can see it time and time again throughout the Bible, even Jesus. We are told this account when Jesus was baptized that a voice, the voice of God spoke and said, this is my son whom I love. And then Jesus was immediately taken into the wilderness and he was taunted by the enemy. Where did he go? If you are the son of God. If you are who God says you are, if you are who, are who the father, if you are loved by God. So should we be surprised when we encounter and are caught up in the same battles. There is still an enemy of our souls. There is still a liar. He has been defined as a liar and a deceiver. There is still a liar who would whisper to us, if you were a child of God, this wouldn't be happening. If you were really loved by God, you wouldn't be feeling like this. You wouldn't be going through this. Did God really say it's all grace and you can't earn his love? I'm sure if you just worked a bit harder, served a bit more, tried to be a bit more impressive, that's the way he's going to love you a bit more. Did God really say? <laughs> Excuse me. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to resist the lies of the enemy. When he comes with his whispers and we spot, he's going to mess this up. He's going to mess this up. We actually get to stand there and say, my dad says... My dad says, my dad says that I am forgiven. My dad says that there is no condemnation. My dad says that I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. My dad says that there is a love that I cannot be separated from. My dad says that he has created me to do good works. I can find purpose and meaning within his plan. My dad says we actually get to repeat the words from the Bible and resist through the power of the spirit the words of the enemy over us so that we actually can recognize recognize the lies when they come and recognize who we are being defined by. Dr. Anita Phillips, who is an, a therapist from America, she's an amazing woman and she has put together these four, well, actually she gave two of them and I added two of my own, that actually help me just to sometimes, it, we in the moment to actually think, these are four questions that she has says, um, in a moment when we find ourselves, because this is, this is for us to live our lives on our Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday when we're in work, when we're at home, when we're at friends. We all know those arrows that the enemy would come to fire at us. And as soon as we can, not to wait until we get home or have a conversation about it a week later, but stop in the moment and actually ask, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? If we've got a text, we've seen a picture, we've heard some news at work, what am I feeling? What is the belief that is feeding this feeling? And as I said, emotions are a gift. We've done loads of sermons on them here at church. And sometimes we can recognize, actually, this is a belief that needs to be honored. Or we recognize, ha, ha, no, this is a belief that I do not want to belong to anymore. So what is the truth that can come against this belief? Whether it might be, here's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling jealous. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling um, frightened. I'm feeling whatever it may be. What is the belief that is feeding this? Oh, no, I'm going to come against it with this truth. I'm going to know what I can come against this with my dad says. And then what can I do as a response to this? Could it be that I could contact someone? Could it be that I could make a different decision about what, how I'm going to choose where my mind goes? Whatever it may be. 
To grow in the love of God is not to stop being critical thinkers. God's not afraid of our questions, but to grow in the love of God is to grow in wisdom, discernment, and understanding. If the Bible was simply a hallmark movie, <laughs> look, one Peter might actually read. We feel it in our fingers. We feel it in our toes. <laughs> Isn't it lovely? It's just such a, it only, it's only real if we feel it and there's always a happy ending. But it's not. The Bible holds the major and the minor chords of life. Our verses that we have read from 1 Peter has told us that we will go through trials and tests, but they will pass. And we are not left alone. I want to read this from Romans 8 as we finish. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen? No one. For God has himself has given us right standing with himself. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels or demons, fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I wonder if the band would like to come up. Thanks, gang. What if we were the church that believed we were loved? What if we so knew the words written in the Bible that we allowed them to protect, deliver us, save us from the schemes of the enemy? What if when we haven't got the strength to do that to ourselves, it became the norm that we would go, we would stand with each other, we would strengthen each other, we would remind one another of who we are, our true identity. What if we prayed every morning this year as we woke up, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are with me. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Help me to live in your love or something along those lines. What if we prayed that every morning, thank you for the cross, thank you that I am loved? What if we kept choosing to believe that God is for us, not against us? I'm gonna pray and then we will worship and we will thank him for the cross. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the words that you have written about us. And I wanna thank you that they're not words to just make us feel good on a Sunday morning, but they're words that have actually changed eternity for us. I wanna thank you that your word says that even though we can't actually fully grasp the width and the depth and the height of your love, we can experience and know it. I wanna thank you that even if we can't answer every question about the mystery of our faith, we can live in the power of the love that has been won for us by the death and resurrection for Jesus on the cross. Father, I pray that we would be a church that never takes the cross for granted, that we would never take for granted the love that was displayed for us in that moment, that we would treasure that, Jesus. And I want to thank you for every one of us here this morning. And I pray for those of us 
who have come in full of joy that we would be encouraged again by who you are. And I want to pray for those of us who are discouraged. Maybe we have never heard this or maybe we have forgotten who we are. As we worship Jesus, as we thank you for the cross, as we know your power with us, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what only you can do, Father. You would do what only you can do. You would awaken us, restore us, heal us, remind us again of who you are and who we are because of your love. Amen.